Section twenty two of Satyrs and Profanities. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by April Gonzalez. Satyrs and Profanities by James Thompson. Principal Tulloch and Personal Immortality. Dr. Tullock has the sense to perceive and a candor to acknowledge that even to those who have not any faith in God or immortality, death need not be terrible, and often is not, that they may be resigned or peaceful and meet the inevitable with a calm front, that they may be even glad to be done with the struggle of existence. Of course this is no news to us who have stood at the bedside of dying materialists and atheists, or familiar with trustworthy, well-authenticated accounts of the last hours of such persons. Still it is encouraging to find a distinguished and influential minister openly recognizing the facts, instead of distorting them with the old, contemptible, pious fictions, again and again repeated after being again and again refuted. But Dr. Tullock considers that only the light of the higher life in Christ can glorify death. It would have been well had he been more specific as to this higher life and the glory it caused on death. If they are as described at length in the only authoritative Christian scripture on the subject, the book of Revelation, it seems to me that the life is anything but high, and radiates anything but glory. However, taste differ, and man is queer fellow and there may actually exist many people who would prefer to annihilation a sort of everlasting moody and sankey meeting, and would even regard this as celestial beatitude. Concerning such, I will only say with Guithe, I hope I shan't go to heaven with that lot, yet these are not quite the lovers of the lower in our civilized Christendom, or there are not many who look forward to the complacency and even enthusiasm to a life beyond death wherein they shall be largely employed in wrapping tables, jogging arms and scrawling illiterate nonsense. Dr. Tullock, in quoting St. Paul, seems to forget that he was writing to himself and his fellow Christians, to whom his words were thoroughly applicable, not of mankind in general, to whom they were not, and by construction of the sentence could not be. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are all men the most miserable, we the Christians. And why would they be all men the most miserable? Clearly because, in obedience to the injunctions of their master, they had cut themselves off from this world that they must secure the next, had renounced wealth, honour, society, enjoyment, all interest in art, science, literature, all political and national aspirations, and had courted obloquy and persecution, so that the next life should turn out to be a mockery a delusion and a snare, they were of all men the most miserable, being the most miserably deluded, those poor simple early Christians, on the showing, for false, of the books all Christians revere as sacred and divine, having only Jesus and his apostles to instruct them, had not reached that lofty mercantile wisdom which made the late Mr. Binney, one of the most popular preachers in our pious and mercantile country, when he solved the problem of how to make the best of both worlds. Of other worldliness they indeed had enough and to spare. 
but they lack the large modern grass, which combines and intermingles it with an equal measure of this worldliness. If they didn't know everything down the Judy, and St. Paul, though fairly intelligent and cultivated for his benignant time, was in a deplorable need for some lessons from Wayhouse Chapel. When the worthy principle says that men cannot find strength or comfort in what they have been called the religion of humanity, and that they crave a personal life, is he aware that he has descended from the highlands of morality and truth to the lowest lowlands of Paley and Binney expediency? Is he aware that he is moreover begging the question, making the monstrous assumption that men must get what they crave? I call this the childish lollipop attraction of religion, so absurd as to be really beneath the contempt of full-grown men and women, just as young ones would look forward to having the free range as long as they liked, which they would interpret for ever and ever, of shops full of sweeties. So those big babies are to simple Christian brethren, look forward to the lubberland of eternal bliss, and sing glory, glory, glory. Their claim to it is purely the infants, because they would like it. Their mouths water, they lick their lips, they gargle luxuriously with a foretaste. Oh, we shall be so up, up, happy. Canaan is a happy place. We'll go to the land of Canaan. And usually these beatific adult babies are creatures such as an intelligent man would be ashamed to bring into the world. Much more, God. They can't endure an hour of their society here, and they pester you to come and spend eternity with them. I'm real sorry to find Dr. Tullock in such company. In conclusion, I ask the reader to note especially the preacher's avowal that his faith in personal immortality has no warrant from nature, no warrant from science, nigh more, that the suggestion of scientific analysis mockingly sift the sources of life only to hinder immortality. There is indeed no temper of mockery in science, but its soberest deductions may well seem to mock with a terrible derision in the inordinate greed and self-conceit of men, who, because they profess in a scientific and unnatural fate, have lost all sense of proportion between their infinitesimal selves and the infinite universe. End of section 22 Recording by April Gonzalez, Cavita, Philippines